So this week has been filled with holidays and reasons to celebrate. I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the past week, there are a number of holidays that people in our culture have celebrated. On Wednesday, Wednesday, does anybody know, was May the 4th. What is May the 4th? Star Wars Day. How many of you celebrated National Star Wars Day? Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. Way more people in this service than in first service. Not surprised there. I think there was one honest guy in the first service uh, who celebrated uh, Star Wars May the 4th be with you day. Um, I learned this week from Esther that May the 5th is the Revenge of the 5th, another Star Wars holiday. I didn't know that. Uh, I thought May the 5th was Cinco de Mayo, right? A good reason to go eat some great Mexican or Tex-Mex food here in Dallas. Um, But this was a week filled with celebrations, even personally. Obviously, today is Mother's Day. um, But personally, on Wednesday of this coming week, May 11th, is my daughter Chloe's 11th birthday. It's her golden birthday. I don't know if you're, not, if you're familiar with the idea of golden birthdays. Golden birthdays is uh, when your age is the same of the day on which you were born. So Chloe's turning 11 on the 11th of May, right? Um, and so expectations are high for Chloe of what her golden birthday is going to include. And so we're going to be celebrating this week. Um, also, uh, many of you here are probably getting ready to celebrate different graduations, You have high school or college students, maybe seminary, who are graduating in the next few weeks, and so your weeks are filled with celebration as well. Uh, But all week long, because of this, I've had the song by Cool and the Gang stuck in my head, and you're going to need to sing it for me here. Um, Celebration. Ready? Somebody sing it. Celebrate good times. Come on. Much better than first service. Um, Again, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, You'll notice on your outline that I've entitled this sermon, Celebrate the Lord, come on. I've tweaked that title a little bit, and I know that's cheesy, but you're not going to forget it because we know that we forget 90% of what we hear, but now this song, You're Welcome, is going to be stuck in your head all week long like it was mine. Um, So let's do it again. Ready? Celebrate the Lord. Come on. Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, Get ready. We're going to do that a few more times together this morning. Because the truth is we need to celebrate. Of all people, Christians should be the most joy-filled, celebrating people in our world. And as you know, if you've been around Grace uh, for the last several months, the vision that I have, that we have for Grace Bible Church is that when you stand before the Lord, that you will hear him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I want each and every one of you in this room to experience the true joy now and eternally of living for him. And to help you along that path, the mission is to equip, engage, and exalt. We're here to equip you with the truth. So you go out in the week and you engage people with the gospel. And then we come back together every weekend and we exalt God for who he is and what he's doing. And this whole idea of exalting, this sermon series we're in right now, is really about celebrating. A big area of exalting God is celebrating him. Think back through this sermon series for just a minute. It really began on Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, the word I emphasized was remember. Remember, he is risen. 
He is risen indeed. Very well. Well done. The week after that, we looked at Isaiah 6, and we really saw that word see. Isaiah saw this vision of the Lord, high and exalted. He saw this vision of a holy God. And one of the things I emphasized is that we need to see this difference between a holy God and sinful people. And we need to see and understand that the only way to bridge this gap between a holy God and sinful people is is through the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. We have to see that. Last week, I emphasized the word hear. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, hear, O Israel. We talked about what it is to be reminded over and over again of who God is and our love and our commitment to him. This week, our passage is Philippians chapter 4, and the word we're going to emphasize over and over again is celebrate. So let me hear it. Let me hear you sing. Celebrate the Lord. Come on. All right, thank you. I feel like your energy's getting less, so we're going to have to do better next time. But um, there on your outline, take, a no, uh, take notice here on your outline, we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to see the problem, the solution, the application, a real simple outline. We're going to see some of the problems that were going on in the church in Philippi. Then we're going to see the solution that the Apostle Paul provides to these problems. And then we're going to talk about the application of the passage here in Philippians chapter four. So first, number one on your outline, let's talk about the problems. Before we jump into chapter four, there are several problems going on in the church in Philippi that you need to know about. There are problems internally and externally. Externally, the church in Philippi is feeling a lot of pressure, a lot of persecution. There's a lot going on in the world and the culture around them that is challenging their faith in Jesus and their worship of him. For example, notice chapter 3, verse 2 in the book of Philippians. Paul says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. There were pressures outside of the church in Philippi trying to uh, pressure and force the true believers there in the church to stop worshiping, to stop exalting God. So there's problems outside the walls of the church. But also in the book of Philippians, we see that there are problems within the walls of the church. At the beginning of chapter 4, we read about these two women who are divided among one another. We don't know the exact nature of their division, of what it is that's dividing them, but in the beginning of chapter 4, Paul urges them to live in harmony in the Lord. So there's pressures outside the church, outside the walls of the church, but there's division going on inside the church. And we see throughout the New Testament in many books, many epistles and letters of the Apostle Paul that we see both of these ideas, and they really, one leads to another. That even in our world and in our culture, you often see churches as pressures outside the wall, persecution rises, it can easily begin to bleed into division within the church. We saw this in the last few years, right? As pressures in our own culture and country have raised, we saw division enter into the church. But to make matters worse, another problem we see, again, number one on your outline, is that when Paul is writing this book, this letter to the church in Philippi, Paul is in prison. 
Paul's in prison. So we've got problems behind the scenes in this book. You've got pressures outside the church. You've got division inside the church. You've got the Apostle Paul in prison writing to the church in Philippi. There's a lot of problems going on. But what I want you to notice is Paul, one of the things you see throughout the book of Philippians is Paul doesn't focus on the problems. He focuses really in on what God is doing despite the problems. For example, flip back to chapter one for just a second. Notice what Paul says about the fact that he's in prison. A pretty big problem, right? You might think that with Paul in prison, the progress of the gospel is being hindered, right? But that's not, a, not at all what's taking place. Notice Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, the fact that he's in prison, in Rome, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, notice, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, they have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now take a step back for just a second. Realize the significance of what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You've got problems in the church in Philippi, outside the church in Philippi. Paul himself is in Rome in prison, rotting away. But Paul says, brethren, what I want you to know is that my circumstances have actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That the whole Praetorian Guard there in Rome knows the reasons for my chains. A scholar by the name of J.B. Lightfoot argues that the Praetorian Guard here would have numbered 9,000 Roman soldiers rotating in and out on four-hour shifts. I love to envision the Apostle Paul sitting there in his prison in Rome. And by the way, I think I've mentioned to you we're going on a trip to Israel in fall 2023, and we're going to go to Israel. We're also going to go to Athens and Corinth, and we're going to go to Rome and see the traditional site where the Apostle Paul was imprisoned. Um, but I like to envision the Apostle Paul there, and he's chained to these different Roman soldiers throughout his day, four-hour shifts in and out. And he's got a captive audience. Right? The Apostle Paul is not focusing in on his chains. His attention is on the one that he's chained to. And I think throughout Paul's time there in his Roman imprisonment, he was giving these Roman guards, this Praetorian guard, the reason for his imprisonment. Saying, hey, listen, the reason I'm here is because of this guy, Jesus. Uh, he died on a cross in Jerusalem, but was brought back to life. He was raised from the dead and he offers to you, this guy chained to me, the forgiveness of sins. Right? And for those of us in this room, this message still applies, right? Those watching online, this message still applies. And before I go any further, I want to pause and ask you, have you considered that message? Uh, that Jesus died for you. That all that is wrong with our world is because we have broken it. We introduce sin into this equation. But the truth of the gospel is that Jesus offers to you forgiveness and he has made a promise to return and to make all things new. And it's that message 
that Paul's excited about here in the book of Philippians. And it's that message I invite you this morning to consider and to ultimately trust in the one who laid down his life for you. But I like to envision the Apostle Paul here in Rome, in prison. And the irony of this entire thing, when you think about Paul there in prison, the irony of the entire thing is that far from being put out of commission, Paul is commissioned here to take the gospel as a Trojan horse into the very heart of the Roman Empire. And the irony of this entire passage is that while the Apostle Paul is in chains, the gospel has been set free to spread throughout all of Rome. And it's that that the Apostle Paul focuses in on here in this passage, not his problems. And he's writing to the church in Philippi because there's lots of problems. There's problems internally, there's problems externally. And again, for you and I, we need to come to terms with the fact that um, there's problems in our world. And sometimes those problems bleed into division in churches just like it did 2,000 years ago. And Greg Lamb, one of our elders, called me this week and we were talking and, and he asked me, he said, Jace, um, are you ready in your lifetime it may come the day when you are arrested for preaching the gospel. Are you prepared for that? It's a sobering question, right? I mean, that could very well happen, even here in the United States, where pastors who preach the gospel, who are unashamed of what the scripture says, could get arrested for that. And so Greg Lamb asked me, hey, are you prepared for that? And for the record, I said yes. And I also said to him, I hope the church is prepared with some bail money to come get me out of prison <laughs> if that happens. Um, but these are things we need to realize. There's problems. There was problems 2,000 years ago. There's problems today. But thankfully, there's also the solution. And this is where we're going to emphasize this morning, looking into Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, I want you to notice what Paul says, his command, his charge to the church in Philippi in light of all of these problems going on. Philippians chapter four, verse four, notice what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. With all of those problems in the background, Problems in the church, problems outside the church, problems of Paul in prison. His command, his charge to the church in Philippi is that word rejoice. Notice twice Paul emphasizes that word rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, he says, I will say rejoice. Why twice? Repetition, 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 right? What gets repeated gets remembered. And Paul is emphasizing here what he wants the church there in Philippi to do is to rejoice in the Lord. Despite what's going on, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I love how Eugene Peterson, in the message, he paraphrases this verse. He says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. I love that. It's a paraphrase. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. What Paul wants the church there in Philippi to do is to celebrate God. Not dwell on their circumstances, not focus on their problems. He wants them to celebrate all day, every day who God is. 
It's like that song by Cool and the Gang that gets stuck in your head all the time. How does it go? Celebrate good time. Come on. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, one of the things that our family does uh, uh, when we gather around the dinner table, when we have family meals together, one of the things the Cloud family does together is we go around the table and everybody is invited to give their high and their low of the day. The high point and the low point of the day. And because there are six of us, we have to take turns and we go around the table and we try not to interrupt one another and everything, right? That rarely happens. Um, But we go around the table and everybody gets a turn to share what was their high point of the day and their low point of the day. And uh, this week, I wanna share with you what was my high of the week. My high, really, of the entire week was on Monday night. Uh, my daughter, Clara, she's been in a soccer league, a YMCA soccer league, all, all um, season. And on Monday night was their last game. And all season long, Clara has wanted to score, but she's never scored. Well, at the very end of the game, towards the end of the game, Clara positioned herself right by the goal. The ball came her way, and she kicked it straight into the goal. Clara scored her first ever soccer goal on Monday night. Now, as you can imagine, when Clara scored, I very calmly and in a monotone voice said to her, Clara, you scored a soccer goal, period. And I sat down, right? (laughs) No, that's not what happened. Brian Feichter was there. Where's Brian? Uh, Yeah, Bright Factor was there. What did I do? I celebrated, right? I mean, I threw my hands in the air. I think I high-fived Brian Factor, and thankfully, Clara ran from the goal straight to me and gave me a big hug because I was this close to being that dad who runs onto the field and embarrasses everybody, right? Uh, But what do you do when you celebrate? You throw a party, you rejoice, and that's the idea that Paul is getting at here. Sometimes when you read Philippians 4.4 and we think about this idea of rejoicing, it's not just an attitude, it's an action. It's something you do. That's why I like the, the Eugene Peterson paraphrase, we celebrate the Lord all day, every day, because that's what you do when you rejoice. Twice here in verse four, Paul tells the church in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. Even while he's in prison. Why? Because the gospel is still at work. The whole Praetorian Guard is still hearing the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. The world might panic, but not the Christian. The Christian rejoices. And then notice as well, verse five, Paul goes on and he says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Why? The Lord is near. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now the word for gentle here, uh, Aristotle uses it to describe the opposite, the opposite of strict justice. So again, you can imagine the Apostle Paul there in prison in Rome demanding justice, right? Uh, He's wrongfully there. But Paul here tells the church in Philippi, and I think he's leading by example 
of instead of demanding his justice, he's encouraging gentleness. Again, that word for gentleness, it's the opposite of strict justice, but it describes a person who is compassionate, who's understanding, who gives other people the benefit of the doubt. And even with those soldiers to whom Paul is chained, I think he's given them compassion. He's sharing the gospel, even though they don't deserve it. And Paul here is telling the church in Philippi, listen, I want your gentleness, your gentle spirit to be made known to all men. Why? Because the Lord is near. The phrase, the Lord is near, can describe either Jesus' spatial nearness. In other words, he's close to us. He'll never leave us or forsake us, right? He's spiritually close to us. Or it can describe his temporal nearness. In other words, he could return at any moment. That at any moment, Jesus could come at an event we call the rapture and uh, begin the process of making all of this stuff that we've broken, making it right. And certainly both ideas are true, Probably, I think Paul has the second one, though, in mind here, that the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And that should be the the motivation for us, even in the midst of problems, to be joyous, to celebrate, to be gentle, because the Lord is near. And then notice he continues in verses 6 and 7. He continues to tell the church in Philippi there. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I like how the New Living Translation puts verse 6. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. See, for the Apostle Paul, even here in prison, the antidote to worry is prayer. Taking things to the Lord. Not worrying about things that we can't control. I've heard it said that worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. I love that. Worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. But prayer, we see here in this verse, prayer gets you somewhere. Notice again, Paul says, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. With supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and notice what happens as a result. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As a result of prayer, Paul says, you'll experience the peace of God. And this peace of God, Paul says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word for guards here, again, Paul's in prison. He's being guarded by a Roman soldier, and the word guard there is related to that. Paul says the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You've got to love what Paul is doing here. What he's saying is it's a total change of mindset. Again, instead of focusing in on his problems, instead of focusing in on his chains, Paul is focusing in on the opportunity that's before him, this captive audience that he has. 
And he's encouraging the church in Philippi to do the same. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, Throughout all of life, we really have a choice. We can either get upset about things we can't control, or we can pray and rejoice and celebrate in our God who is in control. So how do we do this? This is a tall order, I know. It's a challenge for all of us. But notice what Paul says next in verse 8. How do we make this shift from a mindset of worrying to a mindset of rejoicing? Notice what Paul says there in verse 8. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, what does Paul want you to do? Dwell on these things. And the things you learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And notice the God of peace will be with you. Again, this major shift in thinking Paul's laying out here. Paul doesn't want the church in Philippi to dwell, to think on their problems, internal problems, external problems, the fact that Paul's in prison. Instead, Paul wants the church in Philippi to focus in on these things that we see in verse 8. These are the things that should be stuck in our mind, kind of like that song from Cool and the Gang, right? So what are the things that Paul wants the church in Philippi to think about? We're just going to go quickly through verse 8. Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever is true. It's interesting that Paul starts with the word true or truth. The word here describes anything that's true, that's authentic, that's real, that's reliable, that's really there. Paul says, dwell on these things. Second, whatever is honorable, whatever is of special respect, honorable, and worthy, above reproach is how this word is often translated. Dwell on these things, Paul says. Third, whatever is right or just, dwell on these things. Fourth, whatever is pure or set apart and holy, devoted, dwell on these things, Paul says. Fifth, whatever is lovely, a term that describes things that are desirable, pleasurable in a good and godly way, pleasing, dwell on these things, Paul says. Sixth, whatever is of good repute, things that are worthy of conversation, dwell on these things, Paul says. If there's any excellence, Paul says, the word excellence is a very important word in, in, in Greek ethics. It's the word that describes all of the virtues kind of coming together. Moral excellence is how it's sometimes translated. Paul says, dwell on these things. And then notice, if anything worthy of praise, or I'm going to say worthy of celebrating, dwell on these things, Paul says. And then notice what he does in verse 9. After telling the church in Philippi to dwell on these things, uh, he says, the things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, Paul is not only preaching, but he's practicing what he's preaching, right? He's living out this very list we see in verse eight. He says, hey, remember, I've I've lived these things out. I'm living these things out, even here in prison. 
So the things that you have heard and learned and received and seen in me, practice these things. Put them into practice in your life and the God of peace will be with you. Again, Paul focuses not on his chains, but he's looking at the opportunity that's chained to him. Again, back to the high and low game that we play around the Cloud family dinner table. Um, when our family goes around the table, everybody gets a turn, and, and usually uh, I might go youngest to oldest or oldest to youngest, uh, but we go around the table, and every time, without exception, I want to tell you what my son Judah does. Um, as we go around the table and we share our high and our low, our high point and our low point, let me give you an example of something Judah might say. I might say to Judah, Judah, uh, what was your high of today? And he might say something like, I got ice cream today, right? For a four-year-old, ice cream, that's a high point. It's not necessarily for us parents who have to then deal with the sugar rush, but for him, it was a high point. And then we come to the question, Judah, what was your low? And without exception, he'll say, I got ice cream today. (laughs) Uh, For him, Life is about the ice cream, right? The, the low didn't matter. It's not that he doesn't understand really the concept, but he's focusing in on the fact he can't escape the thought that he got ice cream today and nothing else matters, right? Um, and as I think about it, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church in Philippi to do. What we, by extension, should do. We focus on the ice cream, not the low point, right? Focus on the good things that happened in the day, not necessarily the bad. And it's that type of mindset that Paul is getting at here in this passage. It's those things that Paul wants us to dwell on throughout the course of our day. So we've seen, number one on your outline, the problem of these uh, issues going on in the church, outside the church with Paul in prison. We've looked here at the text and we've talked about the solution, but now let's talk about the application. How do we apply Philippians chapter four to our life today? Uh, To begin with, I want you to understand a really important concept, and that is um, the book of Philippians is often called the epistle of joy or the letter of joy because joy is a reoccurring theme in the book of Philippians. But there's another theme that actually occurs more often than joy, and it's the theme of thinking. Throughout the book of Philippians, Paul is emphasizing the concept of thinking and dwelling, reflecting. And so you could say that Philippians is the book of thinking. And I believe that the two ideas, thinking and joy, go hand in hand. How we think impacts how we live, or in other words, what we put in our mind is either gonna lead to stress and anxiety or it's gonna lead to joy and celebration. The question is, what are we putting into our minds? brilliant scholar by the name of N.T. Wright. You've probably heard of him. We wouldn't agree with everything he says, uh, but he's spot on on several things. He says this. He says, read the newspapers. Their stock in trade is anything that is untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, of ill repute, vicious, and blameworthy. He says, how are you going to celebrate the goodness of the creator if you feed your mind only on the places in the world which us humans have made ugly? How are you going to take steps instead to fill your mind with all the things God has given us? 
and to be legitimately pleased with and to enjoy and celebrate him. And that's the point here of Philippians chapter 4. What are we putting in our minds? What are we focusing in on? What are the things that get stuck in our head? The songs that we sing, the goodness of our creator. Do we focus on those or are we focusing on our problems? Because how we think impacts how we live. And rejoicing is as much an action as it is an attitude. So let me leave you with something helpful. Another brilliant scholar that we wouldn't agree with everything he says, but he's spot on here, is Karl Barth. In his commentary on Philippians, he says that joy is the defiant nevertheless in the midst of our problems. That joy, he says, is the full stop, or we would say the period, into the problems of our world. Joy is the defiant nevertheless against the Philippians' anxiety, he says. And so what this looks like for us is that If, indeed, our culture, our world goes to Hades in a handbasket, the joyful Christian says, nevertheless, God is still in charge. The gospel's still working. No matter what the problems we have that enter our day, the joyful Christian defiantly says, nevertheless. If you stub your toe in the middle of the night over your kid's toy, nevertheless, says the joyful Christian, right? And we celebrate the Lord And that's what I want you to do there on the back side of your outline. You can see your one thing for this week is this. I want you to celebrate the Lord. Come on, sing it with me. Celebrate the Lord. Come on. All right, it's stuck in your head now. So the question is, how can you celebrate God all day, every day, like Eugene Peterson paraphrases in the message? Uh, Maybe go out for ice cream and make my son Judah really happy. Uh, Or go fly a kite. Do something that brings joy to your life as a way to celebrate our God today. And here's what you'll find. Joy is contagious. Celebration is contagious. On Monday, when Clara scored that goal, uh, I was high-fiving people all around, right? Brian Feichter joined in the celebration, even though Clara's not his daughter, uh, because celebration is contagious. And when we celebrate things, It creates an energy and an excitement. And what the Apostle Paul wants us to do here in Philippians 4, he calls us to a life of rejoicing, of celebrating, of exalting God for who he is and what he's doing. And so let's celebrate together. Let me pray. Father, thank you uh, for your goodness. Uh, Thank you that even in the midst of the problems of our world, you are good, yet you're in control, that the gospel's spreading, that people are coming to faith in Jesus. And God, while we certainly don't ignore our problems, help us to focus instead on the one who has the solution. Uh, Father, give us a hope uh, and allow us by the power of your spirit to give people a reason for the hope that is within us. And I ask this for myself and for each person here. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.